So here we go. Thank you, Bill. We're in our current sermon series. It is all about going through verse by verse the book of Philippians. And the theme for the entire book is to live as Christ. The idea being, if you really want to live, you got to get connected to Christ and then serve him and do ministry for him, which brings joy, ultimate joy. To set things up, though, for today's Bible text that Bill just read, let me share an analogy. And this is an analogy with a bit of a twist at the end. And I'm going to sort of experiment to see if I can pull off the twist at the end. But imagine a person who like me is overweight, okay? Or maybe quite overweight. And I'm not judging anybody, okay? Um, I've been overweight for most of my life and it's been a struggle. It's no fun, really. Uh, if you've been overweight or are, I, I, it's, it's a tough journey. It's a very challenging thing. But let's just take, for purposes of illustration, someone who happens to be quite overweight. How did that person become overweight? Uh, well, genetics. That's my favorite go-to <laughs> excuse. Genetics, it was the DNA from my mom. I blame my parents for everything, okay? But it does play a big part as to how the body metabolizes and, and so on and so forth. Um, and so, but, but the, the basics of weight gain and being overweight is really two factors, two basic factors. Uh, too many calories coming in and not enough calories being burnt on the way out, okay? Too many coming in, not enough being burnt on the way out. Yeah, I knew there was a Garfield fan there somewhere. But let me talk about calories coming in and what are some of the problem calories coming in? Well, too much ice cream. They just eat too much ice cream. Uh, for some, they just eat too much dessert. Others just drink too much beer. Just too much alcohol is often a problem. Uh, for, for people like myself, it's often the portions are too large. Just, you know, just eating too many portions and, and they're very large. It's very hard to, to not eat large portions. Um, but eating too frequently and too often for what the body actually needs, you see. And so what often happens is, and I've been there, and I think I'm still there, food becomes a sort of addiction. Like you need that fix to feel better about yourself and, and help sort of a person cope with life, just like drugs can be a, an addiction and a means of coping with life as well, or even alcohol as well. Food can be that fix, that addiction. Uh, so that's all about calories coming in. Let's talk about calories going out, being expended. Uh, well, if a person uh, struggles with, with weight, uh, it means that their eating is not matching their output. Um, it's not matching the exercise, okay? So there's a discrepancy. In fact, there may be no exercise at all, which is often my issue. And what this comes down to is this. If you want to lose weight, what do you have to do? If you want to achieve physical fitness and being fit, what do you have to do? Well, you've got to lose two things. You've got to lose some things. You've got to lose eating so much food, and you've got to lose avoiding exercise, okay? You've got to lose the inactivity. You've got to lose sitting on the couch all the time. Um, you've got to lose a lot of your sit-down leisure time. And so what this boils down to is uh, you've got to lose a lot of what you formerly loved. You've got to lose what you formerly held dear in order for you to gain physical fitness. You've got to lose a lot of stuff to gain physical fitness. Now. If you're trying to sort of trace out where I'm going with this analogy, uh, you might think I'm relating the weight loss journey to that being like the Christian life. Okay, you might think that. In other words, for you to become spiritually fit, not physically fit, but spiritually fit in God's eyes, spiritually worth something to Jesus, well, there you've got to do, you've got to shape up spiritually. Just like you get to achieve physical fitness, you've got to shape up physically, well, you've got to shape up in God's eyes spiritually. You've got to 
put your commandment-breaking ways aside. You've got to volunteer more in church. You've got to give more of your hard-earned money to the church and to the poor. you just got to do more. So if you're going to shape up spiritually for God to become fit for Him to open His arms to you, uh, for God to bless you and favor you and save you and let you into heaven, um, well, this is what you got to do. you got to do things for God. you got to do a lot of good stuff, good deeds for God to achieve spiritual fitness. Now, is this, is this how it works? Is this how Christianity works? Is this how the gospel works? Is, is, is this how Christ works? Is Christianity all about you? Get your spiritual act together. Get it together. Then he will accept you and let you into heaven. You gotta do better, try harder, white knuckle it for God. You gotta lose lose everything via self-will and self-effort. If I just try harder for God, I'm gonna gain God, I'm gonna gain spiritual fitness. What's the answer? Is, is this what Christianity can be summarized as? The answer is no, it's a resounding no, absolutely no, no. Title for today's message though is losing everything to gain Christ. And so it's a different kind of losing. Uh, losing something else. We're going to be looking at the necessity of, of you and I as a Christian. you got to be willing to lose everything to gain Christ. All right? But the way, the motivation for you losing everything to gain Christ, it actually has everything to do with Christ and less to do with me. Nothing to do with me except for responding with open hands to the grace that's there. We'll explain this. Uh, all right, let's get into it. There is a sermon outlined in your bulletin if you do want to follow along. It's also on the Bible.com app or version app. There's notes online. You, you can actually take notes that way as well on your smartphone. Uh, and then, you know, try to resist checking your Facebook and playing Candy Crush. What's the common game? It's not Candy Crush anymore, is it? I don't, I don't follow these things. So anyhow, do your best. Uh, number one, though, is simply in, in our text, we see this being a primary point. Look out for those. This might be you, might be me. Look out for those who place their confidence in themselves in order to please God. They place their confidence in themselves in order to please God, that God might shower them with spiritual brownie points and perhaps heaven. Meaning it is, it's possible that your spiritual assuredness, your spiritual self-confidence in yourself and in your own self-will and in your own self-discipline, that might be getting in the way of your eternity with God. That's how serious this stuff is. Uh, I want to show you and read again verses uh, 1 to 6 from chapter 3. Uh, please read along in your notes with me, not out loud unless you want to. Uh, he says to Paul, the apostle who wrote this book, who wrote this letter, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for those dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. I mean, that is quite a spiritual resume there. But the first thing that I want to look at here, in verse 1, you may have noticed, Paul is, by the way, writing this church, uh, writing this letter to an entire church family in Philippi, in ancient Philippi, 
not just to one person. And he instructs this entire church there. You guys rejoice in the Lord. That's a mega theme, by the way, for the entire book and letter of Philippians. And so he's saying rejoice. It's all throughout this book. But then incredibly and ironically, Paul, right after telling them to rejoice, immediately launches it into some very negative words, a negative tirade, some dire words of warning. Now, what kind of words of warning does Paul share? He says, look out, watch out, keep your eyes open for those dogs, those dogs who mutilate the flesh. Now, this sounds a little weird, a little scary, kind of like a horror flick uh, or a nature documentary, like something on the Serengeti, perhaps. You know, there's a, the, the lion going after the antelope and ah, those wild dogs in Africa, whatever it is. Uh, dogs mutilating flesh. What in the world is Paul speaking about here? Here's what you need to know. He's not messing around. I mean, do you get the sense like he is talking very intensely. He is talking tough. And in Paul's day, this is 2,000 years ago, dogs in that time and age, they were not the cute, nicely manicured, babied pets that we have today. I know this. We have one. We baby this thing. And it's a little furball, a little yay big. And it's manicured about every month. And it's, it's, it's so spoiled. So spoiled. But I got to so <laughs> contrast that spoiled furball with dogs 2,000 years ago. I mean, they were nasty. They were terrible. Uh, they were just ugly, always on the loose, disease ravaged, uh, always on the prowl looking for food and, and meat to eat. And that's what they were. They were just nasty. And Paul is relating these rabid, nasty dogs to a group of people. And this group of people that he's referring to were a group of so-called Christians who were known as Judaizers. And these Judaizers uh, were Christians with very messed up, weird theology because they wrongly believed that every Christian needs to, you got to still obey all of the ceremonial laws in the Old Testament in order for you to be a true Christian. That's how it works. For example, they would say, well, males still need to be circumcised, you know, just like God required circumcision for males back in the day. And that is true for, for the people of Israel. And he did so to set them apart as these, these are God's people. They are different. Okay. Um, and, and so that was part of God's purpose back in the day. Um, and, and that's just how it worked. And they would say, well, because of that, then Christians still need to do this today. They need to keep the same rate of circumcision. But the problem is, and what these Judaizers didn't realize, is that when Jesus died on the cross for our sins, in that moment, he fulfilled the entire laws of the Old Testament, and especially the ceremonial parts of the law, like circumcision, they were fulfilled. And what that means is, Circumcision is no longer required for God's people. Animal sacrifice, no longer required. Food restrictions, no longer required. So you can eat bacon now. You can eat pork products. Praise God for that. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Okay? So these things no longer apply to God's people. They're no longer re required. But they got to mess up. And this is why Paul uses such very strong language toward these dogs, these Judaizers. These are wayward, legalistic, so-called Christians. These guys honestly were messing up all kinds of churches in the known world at that time and, and, and causing problems within those churches and in some cases causing, causing the occasional church to leave Christianity altogether and basically just go back to Judaism. It was a big problem. Back to the text. 
Interestingly, if you look at verse 3, if you have this in front of you, uh, the church and Christians in it, Paul says that we are the circumcision. Now, what does that mean? I mean, who says that? Well, Paul's saying it, and it's true. We are the circumcision. Should we put that as our tagline underneath our, on our website? We are the circumcision. Like, people are like, what is going on? But anyhow, here's what he means by that. He is referring to a different kind of circumcision, spiritual circumcision, circumcision of the heart. And that happens when you repent of your sins, you believe in Christ's cross, and you trust in his resurrection. When you are baptized, which means you're, you're, you're dead to your old way of life and you're now living a new life following Christ as king. Well, in that moment, in, the, in that conversion process, you're born again. God's spirit is come, made alive within you. You're born again. And his spirit spiritually circumcises off the sinful part of your heart. All right. And those no longer dominate you any longer. Uh, it, it's a fantastic kind of spiritual circumcision. So let me ask you. I don't know if you've ever been in a debate with somebody. Don't you love social media for, isn't that a great place for debates? Not really. It's a, it's a fun place to watch other people debate, but if you're brought into it, it's really quite painful, I'm sure. Um, but have you ever been in a debate where you're, you're, you're arguing with somebody and their argument is a position that you know is absolutely wrong? Like, don't even try to argue with that position with me. I've been there, okay? I mean, you're, you're feeling like this and... Don't even tell me that stuff. You've been there. You got the t-shirt, okay? Don't even. Don't even. Well, this is exactly what Paul is kind of feeling here. And, and he's, he's arguing, if you will, with these Judaizers, these dogs. And he's trying to say, look, I've been a dog. Like, I've been a dog. I've tried to get into God's good books here by being this meticulous, checking off the boxes, rule keeper. I was an expert in keeping the law here, guys. I was the king of self-confidence and self-will and self-discipline and self-righteousness. I was flawless. Been there, got the legalistic t-shirt. But as we'll see in the text later, Paul confronts head on this spiritual, problematic self-confidence. This wrongly believing that I can get myself into God's good books. I can score brownie points with God. Um, if I just do better, try harder, white knuckle it for him. Now, you might be saying, well, thank goodness I am not like these Judaizers. I am not like, I'm not legalistic. I'm not like one of those hardcore Christians or hardcore rule-keeping Christians. I'm not, I'm not a rabid religious dog, okay? But I'm asking you as I'm asking myself, I had to do a lot of self-reflection uh, in response to this text. And the question is, where am I or where are you placing um, your self-confidence in? Are you placing your self-confidence too high in some area spiritually? So what are, you, what are you banking on? What are you relying on? What are you counting on to make yourself acceptable to God and to other people in your life as well? Uh, for example, let's go back to fitness for, for example. And maybe I like to pick on people who are really into fitness because I... Don't struggle in this area. Uh, but anyhow, well, let's talk about fitness and outward appearance. See, I don't struggle with that area of having fantastic outward appearance. Just look at my dress and, and how I dress. Anyhow, but fitness can be a form of self-righteous self-confidence. 
it can become a source of meaning and ultimate joy for a lot of people on the West Coast. I mean, it's all about fitness. We are the fittest city region in the nation, if not North America. But here's what happens. It, it can be, it become a source of ultimate joy, ultimate meaning for, for you. Uh, you work hard. Basically, if you look at your time, it's, there's a lot of time devoted to you and improving you and, and spending time with the gym and so on and so forth. You work hard on yourself and people compliment you and my goodness, that feels good. I mean, who wouldn't feel good with a compliment? But you start to live for those compliments because it, it starts coming from every direction because, well, you're looking better and better. And you start to live for that. That feels, that goes deep. That goes really deep. And then you start to get judgy of other people who aren't quite in the gym as often as you are. They're not quite running as much as you are. They're not quite as fit as you are eating as well as you. And uh, they just don't make the cut there. So very subtly, it's possible that this self-confidence can become more important to you than what Jesus has done for you. So what are you basing yourself, your ultimate self-confidence on, you or Christ? Or let's talk about having too much self-confidence. Self-confidence gone wild. Self-confidence in itself is not necessarily a bad thing, but self-confidence gone wild is a very bad thing. But it's possible that self-confidence in your, in your career and in your level of success, your ability to make money, that's gotten off, off the rails and it means too much to you. Or in your green lifestyle, look how much you recycle, look, look how much little gas that you burn, or, or in your style of parenting, look how awesomely I am raising my own kids, or, or perhaps in, in all of your self-confidence and your level of self-meaning in your kids, so your kids are, have become little lords, little gods, and you're worshiping your kids. It's all about the kids all the time. And that can be your source of self-confidence and meaning in life. You see where I'm going? So self-confidence, run wild. Banking, relying on anything to make you acceptable to God or acceptable in the eyes of other people in and around you, very problematic in every way. Very sinful in, in God's eyes. You know why? Because if I'm banking on, if I'm ultimately relying on myself or anyone else more than Christ, I'm actually shrinking the cross, I'm minimizing what Jesus did for me on that cross and what Christ earned for me on that cross. And I'm saying, this over here is actually means more to me than what Christ has done for me. The idea of shrinking the cross, minimizing what he's done, is problematic. So let us, Mercy Hill Church, let us look out for those, maybe ourselves, maybe we're placing our confidence too highly in ourselves to, to please God or, or to make God love us in some way. It doesn't, doesn't work that way. Let's move on to the second thing. We'll explain that more as we go along. Number two, if you're following along. Number two is this. Count all of your past self-righteous efforts as loss, as rubbish, because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. And so this requires a significant shift to occur within you and how you view yourself. A huge shift in how you view yourself, actually view the entire world, view everything. A huge shift is required to come to Christ and how you view Jesus. Let's look at verses 7 and 8 and read this again. Here's what it says. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss. Remember, Paul went through this very impressive spiritual resume. I mean, look at the guy I was. But then he says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as 
rubbish, there it is, in order that I may gain Christ. This is massive and very interesting. Here we see Paul using the language of finance. In addition, we also see Paul using an ancient swear word. It's there. It's in the, it's in the Greek. I'm serious. He is using an ancient swear word, and he's using the language of finance. So let's begin with the language of finance, and we'll talk about the swear word later. Okay? Let me explain this. Uh, when it comes to finances, if you are a financially minded person, I know many of you in the room are. This is not me, by the way. Some of you in the room are business minded, so you know how businesses work. You maybe started your own business. Well, you know that at your end, you've got to sort out two things. You've got to sort out basically two columns to really simplify it. You need your gains or uh, profits column, and then you need your loss column. Now, why do you need to sort out and analyze what your gains were over the last year or what your losses were? Well, you need to find out if you've made any money or not, whether your business is actually profitable or not. You need to sort of get a, get a read on whether this business is worth pursuing or not. So as a business person, what do you do? Some of you have done this, I'm sure. Um, you hire an accountant, all right? We need accountants. These are wonderful people. And accountants, basically, they put your data into these two basic columns here, and they, they add up everything over the last year, and they put things into the gains or the profits column, and then they put other things in the loss column. Now, let me ask you, which column do you like more and want to see more money in? The gains column, right? Uh, there's more emotional attachment and well, more joyful attachment to the gains column if that gains column is significant, okay? Let's say, let's say your annual gains column for your business is $2 million. It's pretty good, huh? $2 million over the last year is what you've gained. But in your loss column, well, there's, there's only two hundred grand in the loss column. Are you not happy to see that discrepancy there between the gain and the loss column? So you have enough money now, you can buy that expensive gas, you can buy the expensive fruits and vegetables, uh, you, can, you can buy what you need, okay? and then some. All right, we love the gains call. But let's say though, the accountant, and you're not sure why you're hiring this guy, this accountant is starting to mess with your columns. He decides, you know what, I'm gonna switch the, 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 the two columns. The gains column is now the loss column, and the loss column is now the gains column, okay? So now your losses are, was anyone listening? Two million. Two million, and your gains column is 200 grand. At this point, what do you do? You fire your accountant. You fire the guy for changing the columns. Can't do that. Can't be done. Here's my point. Paul is saying in this passage that Jesus is sort of like that column switching accountant. You don't fire Jesus, by the way. He's God. And he's showing you, when you become a Christian, he is showing you all you thought was gains is now loss. And what you thought was loss is now gain. He switches things up and turns your life upside down. And he shows you this is what really makes you right and acceptable to God. It's me. This is what really counts to God. It's me. It's what I've done. This is what Jesus would say. So we got to shift your columns just like Paul shifted his columns, or Jesus shifted Paul's columns. Now Paul views all of his past, all of that self-obsessed law-keeping and checking off all the boxes as a Judaizer. He now views that column as rubbish, loss slash rubbish column. Now, 
That word is used in the ESV translation, the English translation from the original Greek that this letter was written in, rubbish. Rubbish is the sanitized swear word that Paul uses to describe his past. In the original Greek uh, that Philippians was written in, that word for rubbish was the modern equivalent of the curse word that we have in our language today, and I won't say it, uh, pile of excrement. That's what he, it's not rubbish. It's a pile of excrement. That's what he said. That's what the Bible says. And Paul now sees all of my self-confident law-keeping and outward moral perfectionism. It's a big pile of you-know-what. Why? 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 Aren't those good things? No, no, no. They're not. Because he was banking on that to get into God's good books. That's a big pile of you-know-what because uh, all of that, that was all, it was all me, it was all Paul trying to impress God, trying to, try, trying to appease God, trying to please God. Um, and that was all narcissism. That was all self-obsession. That was all self-centeredness. It was garbage. It's all garbage. We can't save ourselves. And now Paul is placing all of that formal, self-confident, religious achievement beside, so he's, he's adding them up. He's putting them side by side. Here are all my spiritual achievements, minuscule. And against all that Christ has done for him and achieved for him in and through and by his cross and resurrection. And they don't even compare. They don't even compare. There's no comparison. That big pile of stinky achievements are now in his lost column and Jesus' achievement of earning Paul's salvation for him on the cross is in the gains column. This sort of reminds me, as I was processing this, of a film. And there's a scene in a film of an adult son arguing vehemently with his elderly father. And for good reason. This father, just a devastating picture of a man. This father has, throughout his life, caused all kinds of problems for all kinds of people. And essentially, the son accuses the father by saying something like, Dad, your whole life is a waste. In fact, Dad, you are a waste. Now, you might say, well, that's a little harsh. But in the context of this film, it's just a film, by the way, the son was right. Well, imagine how... The elderly father feels when he gets confronted by the son in this way. How dare he says, How dare you? I have earned money for the family. I raised you. I put you through school. I've done this. I've done that for you. How dare you place all my gains in the lost column? How dare you? But as I mentioned in this film, the father is. He's caused untold bloodshed and treason and pain on those in and around him. But this father still, he's holding strong. He's still self-confident. He refuses to face the reality and truth and switch his columns. He's not switching his columns because it's all about one person in his life. Who that one person is in his life? It's himself. Thinking about this point has caused me, as I've been mentioning, to look within. Kurt, what's going on inside of you? How do you... Compare it to what Paul's experiencing here. As I get older, you know what I've noticed about myself? I tend to brag about myself quite a bit more than I used to. I like to, and I quite enjoy slapping myself on my back. Look at your legacy. Look at the people you've invested in over the years who have followed Christ.
Christ and changed and look how you've discipled your kids and, and look at how many people you've baptized over the years and you know Kurt you've helped start three churches in your ministry uh, career you know pat yourself on the back I mean job well done and I find myself increasingly tempted to find my joy and my 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 rightness my righteousness before God um, in my achievements in my own personal achievements it's very subtle it's very subtle I don't know that I set out to do this I don't know that we all set out or any of us set out to I need to you know beat my own drum all the time and and pat myself on the back but so it's very subtle and that's the subtle nature of sin it, it just creeps in there's still remaining sin even in us Christians but I'm asking myself I'm asking myself today ask yourself today Kurt, it is Christ and Christ alone in your gains column. Nothing else in the gains column. Am I looking to Jesus alone as my sole savior and my sole identity and my sole joy? Or are my self-confident achievements, are they sneaking back into the gains column again? Sneaking back into my heart as maybe something I'm congratulating myself about again. So what am I doing? Am I counting everything? Everything, everything is lost in comparison to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ our Lord. So think about that. Trace out, examine the self-talk that goes on in your mind and in your heart. And we can trace this out through prayer and say, Jesus, point out any self-confident waywardness in me. Let's move on. Let's move on to our final point, number three, in our notes. And it's this. You're still with me? Anyone still with me? Okay, good. good. You're still awake somewhat. Uh, number three is long. Just, so, just what you need, a long point at the end of a long sermon, uh, just to test you. Number three is remind yourself continually that your righteous standing before God is not dependent on you, but on faith in Christ, his cross and resurrection alone, alone, alone. That gets to the heart of what Christianity is all about. Like, what makes you right with God? What connects you with God? Your, my good spiritual performance before God? My impressive spiritual resume? Like, here it is, Jesus let me into heaven here. I mean, it's, it's just amazing. Look what I've done. Or am I banking on Christ? Am I relying on Christ and Christ alone? Look at verses 9 through 11 as we close this passage. It says, And be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. That's our response. That I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Man, this is good stuff. Bottom line is, here's what this boils down to. No amount of good living, no amount of moral living is going to make you right with God. Bible's clear. All of sin falls short of the glory of God. We don't measure up to God's perfection standard or requirement. And so what that means is no amount of your good deeds are going to cancel out your sins. It doesn't work that way. That's basically the essence of Islam. Do more good deeds than sins and, and then you're fine with Allah. But Christianity does not work that way because we, there's no amount of good deeds that will cancel out our sins before God. Not, not a, no amount of good deeds. In fact, if you're trying to cancel out your sins with good deeds, you're sinning again. You're sinning again because you're thinking that by you doing more things for God, you're thinking too highly of yourself. You're thinking that I can save myself here again. 
And that, for you to be a self-savior, is one of the most grievous sins, most pride-filled sins that anyone can commit. It's, it's massively problematic. As I thought about this, these truths this last week, I was reminded what a relief it is to just believe this stuff. Believe what Paul is talking about here. What a relief. It is such a spiritual relief. It is such a mental relief that you don't have to try to measure up to God here and have that anxiety on you. You just simply rest. You rest in terms of who you are already. That Christ alone has made you righteous before God. Jesus has done all the earning. He has done all the doing of you receiving God's salvation. It's all over. Once for all, done. What a relief. What a relief. What a joy. And now, all we do, all we do in the life of a Christian is simply be who you already are in Christ. Live out of this new identity. Live, yes, live rightly. Live righteously. Obey Jesus, not to earn anything, though. No, obey God now because you're already loved. You're already loved. Just live in that love through obedience. And hopefully that obedience, most of the time, you're motivated. You you, you want to love Jesus. You want to obey Jesus because you want to show your love and gratitude and worship to Jesus for all that he's done for you. So here's what I propose as I bring this thing in for a a bit of a, a plane landing here. What this means, I've talked about this in the past, the idea of preaching the gospel to yourself every day. And all that is is just reminding yourself of these truths every day. You and I, we've got to remind ourselves through prayer that my righteous standing before God is dependent on Christ alone. I am acceptable to God because of Christ alone. Thank you, Jesus, for living my perfect life for me in my place because I couldn't do that. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for my sins in my place. Only your death as the perfect God could eradicate my sins and forgive my sins. And you did that for me. Thank you, Jesus, for rising from the dead to defeat Satan's sin and death on my behalf forever. Your resurrection, Jesus, is now my resurrection. Thank you, thank you, thank you. My hope and salvation is in you and you alone. So please hear me on this. This, I think, is a much-needed daily prayer, daily reminder, a daily sermon to yourself that we need to voice. You know, inordinate, basically self-confidence run wild, self-righteousness, this idea of trying to self-justify yourself before God, it is so sinful, so prideful, so anti-Christianity. You know, if, if you or I, if we're looking to anything other than Jesus to make us acceptable toward God or acceptable to other people, that's very often a temptation for us. If we're trying to become acceptable to other people and find ultimate meaning in that, and where our gain column is our lose column, our lose column is our, I'm getting that messed up. We've got to watch this column shifting going on, back and forth, and it's not good. So we've got to remind ourselves of these truths and of this gospel each day. Would you pray with me as we bring this uh, to a close? So grateful to you for doing all the earning of salvation for us. And you paid for that salvation with your own life, Lord Jesus. You didn't have to. 
But you chose it. You chose the cross. You chose the suffering. You chose the physical agony. You chose the spiritual agony. You chose the mental agony. You chose to go through the humiliation of that and leave heaven and come down and, and do all these things for us. We owe you everything. And I pray that you would help us to be reminded or maybe know for the first time that you and you alone, Lord Jesus, are our gain. Your cross is gain. None of us should be in the gain column. Forgive us for putting our own self-confident efforts in the gain column. Help us to see areas in our lives and in our hearts and in our minds where we're banking on ourselves to make us more acceptable to you or other people. Just cause us to repent of that self-righteousness that still remains and change us, Holy Spirit. We need you to save us from ourselves each and every day. Lord, everything that we have is because of your cross. We come today being reminded of, of your cross as we partake of communion. And just be present with us as we participate in this meal together. In Christ's name, amen.